0: Hello and welcome to Moving Markets by Julius Baer. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Good morning. My name is Helen Freer and I'm going to start us off this morning with a roundup of the latest market news. Let's start with equity markets in the US then, where the major markets all ended the day in the red. The Nasdaq Composite was the biggest faller, losing 1.4% over the day. The Dow Jones lost 0.4% and the S&P 500 closed down 0.8%. Just two of the 11 sectors in the S&P posted a positive return, and they were healthcare and telecommunications. Consumer discretionary was the biggest detractor from returns, followed by financials and industrials. In Europe, it was also a sea of red yesterday, with all of the major markets posting a loss. In fact, all the major indices lost more than 1%. The Eurostox 50 ended the day down 1.9%, and the biggest faller among the major indices was the OMX 30 index, which lost 2.2% over the day. In fixed income, Treasury yields were up a lot yesterday, with bond traders expecting that the Fed will keep interest rates high well into next year now. The two-year US Treasury yield went up seven basis points yesterday to 4.12% and the 10-year yield jumped up 18 basis points to 3.71%. In currencies, the Bloomberg dollar spot index is set to gain 1.3% this week, while sterling has depreciated for a fourth day relative to the US dollar, with investors waiting for the details of the mini-budget that the UK Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, is set to deliver today. This is expected to include information on tax cuts that would affect millions of people like national insurance and corporation tax cuts and maybe also cuts to taxes such as stamp duty. And the Japanese yen fell to a fresh 24-year low yesterday. But then for the first time since 1998, the government intervened and bought some yen in an attempt to shore up the currency and stop it sliding any further. The drop in the currency yesterday came after the Bank of Japan meeting where interest rates were left unchanged, as Japan's central bank continues along its own path of sticking to ultra-low rates. In other central bank meetings, though, after Wednesday saw Sweden's Riksbank and the US Federal Reserve hiking rates, yesterday the Swiss National Bank raised rates by 75 basis points, Then the Norge Bank announced a half point rise and then the Bank of England followed also with a 50 basis point increase, taking interest rates in the UK to 2.25%. This is the highest level since 2008. The Bank of England said it thought the UK economy was already in a recession, forecasting a contraction of 0.1% in the third quarter, which would follow a 0.1% decline in GDP in the second quarter. European Union member states are trying to get a political agreement within the next few weeks that would put a price cap on Russian oil. A cap would then align the EU with the US and be an attempt to prevent the cost of oil from surging and also dent the revenue received by Russia. In terms of economic data today, UK consumer confidence figures came out early this morning, showing a slump to a new low in September, And Spain's GDP figures for Q2 are due out shortly. And then during the morning, we will get PMI numbers for France, Germany, the Eurozone and the UK. And following falls in the U.S. yesterday, markets in Asia are also down so far today and are now heading for a sixth weekly decline. Japan is closed for a public holiday. Australian stocks have dropped almost 2 percent. The Hang Seng Index had lost around 0.7 percent and the CSI 300 around 0.3 percent when I looked a few minutes ago. And futures were down in the U.S. but up in Europe a few moments ago. So that's all from me for today, but I will hand over now to Karsten Menker. Carsten, great that you could join us this morning. We're looking forward to hearing your latest thoughts on digital assets.
1: Thank you very much, Helen. Uh, good morning. So last week, we witnessed Ethereum's merge, which is a historic milestone for digital assets. But this week, we have to again acknowledge that these bottom-up crypto-specific factors mean little in terms of market movements. Also for digital assets, it is all about top-down macroeconomic drivers at the moment, or to be more precise, it is the monetary tightening by the world's major central banks, and most notably, of course, the US Federal Reserve. I think it does not come as a surprise that digital assets didn't digest Wednesday's interest cetera, well, and that also the Federal Reserve's determination to continue hiking interest rates brings headwinds rather than tailwinds to the asset class. This dominance of top-down drivers is unlikely to change anytime soon in our view and it argues against a rapid and lasting short-term rebound. But in the medium to long term, we still see a lot of optionality and a lot of potential in the asset class. So as of this morning, the total market capitalization of digital assets remains below the 1 trillion US dollar mark. Bitcoin is back below 20,000 US dollars and thus remained very much range-bound since hitting its multi-year lows a couple of months ago. Ethereum is back above 1300 US dollars, but still trades down 25% from pre-merge levels. What I'd added to this selling pressure for Ethereum since the merge is that miners have been selling part of the inventory. As a reminder, mining was required for Ethereum previously under the proof-of-work consensus mechanism but is not anymore with a shift to proof-of-stake. Hence, many miners opposed the shift and instead support a hard fork, which resulted in the new Ethereum proof-of-work blockchain. The price of the related token is down to $5 only, from around 30 shortly after the merge last week. Due to this shift to proof-of-stake, Ethereum's estimated energy consumption has dropped by 99.99%, according to Economist, As mentioned previously, this is the main benefit of the merge and further benefits of Ethereum's upgrades, such as greater scalability and lower fees, will only follow with the next update next year. Ethereum's merge leaves Bitcoin as the only major crypto still relying on the energy-intensive proof-of-work mechanism. Generally, we do not believe that Bitcoin will follow in Ethereum's footsteps anytime soon. The Bitcoin community is very much focused on factors such as decentralization and security, both of which would be surrendered if the network moved to proof of stake and away from proof of work. In fact, we see this focus and the related high energy intensity of Bitcoin as some sort of precondition for Bitcoin to potentially become a form of digital gold in the future. That said, given the past month's performance, this still looks like a long-term journey for Bitcoin it's all from my side for now and back to you, Helen.
0: Thank you very much, Carsten. And that concludes today's episode of the Moving Markets podcast. Thank you very much to the speakers and thank you all for tuning in. I wish you all a great day and a great weekend and I hope that you'll join us again next week. Bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information.